What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. <laughs> James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is off the freeway. So just a quick intro before we get into this podcast. I did this podcast a couple of days ago with Jackson Gatlin of Lockdown Rackets. This was before the San Antonio game. Believe it or not, listening to this podcast is actually more relevant after that game. This is a part two of the discussion we had on his podcast. So if you want to go listen to part one, go to Lockdown Rockets, subscribe to that feed, give it five stars, and go listen to part one. It's a great discussion we had about the Russell Westbrook trade, and this kind of transitions perfectly into this podcast. So go ahead and go listen to that. What's up, guys? Welcome to Juice Podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Solomon Ali NBA on Twitter. Uh, we are recording this podcast in an actual studio today. We are actually in, an, in a professional environment. It's very uncomfortable for me. I'm, I'm still trying to get my bearings here. We are with my friend Jackson from Lockdown Rockets. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. And also, I have to throw it out there. You don't look uncomfortable in the slightest. You I, look I, like I, you I, are in your natural element right now. This, this is just weird. It's just weird. Like we got, we got mics. We got like monitoring equipment. This is not the setup I'm used to. Like, we've done this podcast in an airport before. Really now? Yes, yes. We've done it on the road before. Stu- Were you, dare I say, road trip? Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, I was road tripping like Richard Jefferson. It, it, it was. It's it's very strange to be here, but 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 we we have some Rockets basketball to talk about, so we can excuse my misgivings for a little bit. First, before we get into that, we're gonna talk about Indochino for a second. So I am not a big fan of ordering suits. What about you, Jackson? Are you are, are you a, are you a guy who likes to go suit shopping? I, I'm really not, but. You know, I've dealt with Indochino before and I've always had a good experience. Yeah, see, like the thing with Indochino is like you don't have to go in the store and get your suit, your your shoulders and arms measured by that lady who for some reason she can eyeball your size when you walk in. With Indochino, you have your measurements already. Just put them in online. And you know, you don't have to go through that uncomfortable process of meeting a stranger and having them do that for you. You can go to Indochino, they'll you put in all your measurements, you'll get a made-to-measure suit just for you. Like, doesn't that make the process so much easier? Definitely, I 100% agree. I've gotten a suit from Indochino, I love it. The material is great, it, it lasts a long time, it looks like something. Uh, that that definitely will fit into my wardrobe really nicely, and I'm really glad that I, that we get we have this sponsor today. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. Indochino's process is simple: choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your packs will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and designed your suit uh, at your nearest Indochino showroom, or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. Again, like I don't like getting my suit, my stuff measured. I just do it online. Right now, you can get thirty dollars off for your total purchase of three nine nine or more at Indochino.com. 
uh, when entering code blue wire at checkout that's blue wire all caps no spaces plus shipping is free that's indochino.com promo code blue wire that's blue wire all caps no spaces for $30 off at total purchase of $399 or more. Incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuses anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Okay, Jackson, we're back. We're back talking about the Rockets. So the Rockets played a, played a game. Played a game a couple of days ago, an actual basketball game, in which James Harden scored 60 points through three quarters of basketball. Like, were you watching that game live, by the way? Oh, absolutely. I watch every single game live. I wouldn't miss a Rockets game if my life depended on it. Yeah, so th- I, I did not get a chance to watch this game live. I, I did not get a chance to cover this, this game because I was in Dallas. Now I'm back. Uh, I got to watch that game on rewatch. It was just stupid. And, and and I guess I shouldn't be surprised anymore with James Harden. Like, I've, I've seen so many of these performances. They're starting to blend together. And, like, I'm starting to forget some of them in the back of my head. Like, these performances are getting so regular for Harden. He's like, like a my career 2K player. It's ridiculous absolutely. the stats like, so, that he puts so I'm, up. I'm going to read you his his line for that night. So 60 points in 31 minutes, eight assists, three rebounds, three steals, only three fouls, 16 of 24 shooting, uh, 20 of 23 from the line, eight of 14 from the three point line, plus 50. He was a plus 50 when he was on the floor. That's just st- it breaks my brain how good he is this season. And and, and I mean good on in every sense of the word. He's been really good defensively like like I'm talking ever since the, that embarrassing loss to the, the Heat early on this season the Rockets and James Harden specifically have really dialed it up defensively he's starting to pay attention to all the off-ball stuff that he gets made off made fun of he's starting to get he's starting to lock in on, on his opponents he's played some of the best defense of his career I, I should say like I, I've watched him for a very long time this is the best I've seen him defensively offensively we already knew this guy was on another planet it's kind of sombering when you go on Twitter after nights like this and you see that even the James Harden defenders are starting to turn on them like he's his the backlash he's gotten this season has been at a level that's like even stronger than like the, this the year the Rockets went 41 and 41 and uh he got blamed for everything he, he like the Rockets were a cancer in the locker room and he he got killed for he he didn't make an all nba team and he had like incredible stats and this year it seems like people are just kind of done with him like they're they're numb to the stats they they feel like okay like well yeah we know harden can do this but like first of all he draws all these fouls i don't like watching him he gets to free throw line too much and second of all like he he doesn't do it in the postseason even though he does put up good numbers in the postseason maybe not as good in the regular season as he does in the regular season he puts up good numbers but people are just done with him like have have you noticed that sentiment like people are just like i don't care like i don't care what he puts up on a night to night basis i have i have and i I agree with you, and he is he is easily, bar none, the most polarizing superstar in today's NBA, and has been for years now. It's not even close. It's not even close. I'm trying to think of, of someone that's that's even close to his level. Like maybe Ben Simmons, like, not even Ben Simmons is, is this polarizing. Honestly, the only other superstar that I think in the past decade that you could maybe compare to the amount of irrational hatred that James Harden receives from just casual fans, from national media alike, is... LeBron when he immediately went to the Heat because he received a lot of backlash for the decision and then there was a lot of backlash for forming the big three down in Miami. They called him a coward that it was you know a a loser's way to go try and win and then on top of all that they didn't even win that first year. They got they got outed by the Mavericks in what six games in 2011. And you saw people doing victory laps as if they beat the Miami Heat. Exactly. Yeah. It it was funny. Like you, 
I you never see this. You saw media members, like really professional media members, in 2011 when that decision was made, actively rooting for LeBron James to lose games. And you're seeing it now against James Harden. You're seeing media members who actively come out, who are supposed to be unbiased media members, who aren't supposed to lean one way or the other. And they're coming out and they're saying these negative things about James Harden. You've got announcers of other teams. The Hawks announcers were in shambles. You said you watched the game on replay. Did you hear when they were crying about James Harden, when they were complaining, saying he should sit down? It's embarrassment to the game. It's rude. You know, he doesn't need to be in the game when you're up 50. Meanwhile, Trey Young is still in the game when you're down 50. What's that about? Yeah, I'm I'm not surprised, honestly. Like, I, I. as soon as I saw that that it was going to be you know Dominique Wilkins on the call like that he's just not a good broadcaster on League Pass like to like and a lot of these former players of this way they're just very bitter about today's NBA and James Harden is is the embodiment of today's NBA in every sense of the word and and when Dominique Wilkins was on hard was was seeing Harden score sixty points on his basketball team I mean how could you not get angry like but here, here's my here's my thing like get angry at your own team. Your team is the one that lost by 50 points to this team. Beat them. Make make him like have to do something else. Like if 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 it's working against you, if you're losing the game by over 60 over 50 points, like I'm sorry, the onus is on you to not be in that situation in the first place. If you're going to be this much of a homer, be upset at your team. Be upset at your team that that they that they that they allowed themselves to be in the situation to where Trey Young is playing garbage time to to pump up his stats. Like that is not a good situation. And and like you look at you look at broadcasters across the league. Like like I, and I watch League Pass a lot. They talk about Harden a lot, especially when they're playing the Rockets. It, they they're just not the biggest fans. Like and it it, it goes down to the players like you saw this piece last year from Brian Windhorst where he interviewed several players under the cloak of anonymity and they all talked about how they're frustrated with guarding James Harden they think he he, he gets a lot of fouls that are, are needless that he doesn't deserve uh you t- you look at you look at his public perception among the media like they like they don't they've obviously not liked him for quite a while but it, it's even pumped up to this year to where people who were defending him for years and years and years I've turned on him and just like I'm done with this until he does it in the postseason. And it, it seems like we've gotten to that proverbial breaking point to where Harden is never going to get another plotted until he wins an NBA championship. It's unfortunate that we're at this point, but we're at this point. Did you hear the podcast with Bill Simmons and Zach Lowe where they talked about the Harden trade and we, they talked about James Harden uh, at length? It's been, a, I, I'm a little fuzzy on the details of it, but I did listen to bits and pieces. So, Zach Lowe made a good comparison on that podcast where he com- they compared him to Carl Malone. And I kind of feel like that's an apt comparison. Like Carl Malone is is historically now listen, he's not the greatest person. Like like you don't even have to ask me like just look him up on Wikipedia. Like you he's not the he's not the greatest person, but in terms of his on a basketball sense, he is historically one of the more underrated players of all time because people don't like him and he didn't win a championship. And when you get to that point where you're just like consistently putting up awesome, awesome numbers and you just can't get over the hump, whether your team's not good enough, whether you're not good enough, like all that stuff starts to happen. This is what happens. Like even people who defend you for years and years and years start to turn on you. Like media members who have um, who have talked about look look how great Harden is. Look look how, look how historically who have defended dominant. him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, like they'll they'll talk about him. Like even those guys will give up on it and just like yeah they'll shrug their shoulders like yeah like I I, I have nothing else to say. He has to do this in the postseason now. I I think a lot of that criticism is unfair. I think again I mentioned earlier. I think he's had good postseason performances. Let's just talk about the the time they almost won the championship. Uh, when Chris Paul goes down, game game five, they win the game, but you immediately felt like the team morale was like gone. Like they knew they weren't winning that series when Chris Paul went down. 
because Chris Paul in that series, every single time they hit a lull, Paul would brought, would bring them back into it with with a couple with a couple tough mid range jumpers, and and that would help the Rockets get back into the groove of things. And they no longer had that second guy anymore in that series. And games six and seven reflected that when they would take huge leads and when they would get into lulls, they didn't have a second guy to get to get them back into it. And game seven, Harden performed pretty well, but again, he didn't have that second guy to carry the team through. And that that's kind of like if you look at the context of all the games he's lost, he's never lost a playoff series that that his team has been better than him. Like if you look record-wise, the only team that that's had that they've had a better record than definitively and lost to was the Golden State Warriors in that series where they lost Chris Paul. Like they've literally performed up to expectations to a T. Now, if the argument is Harden has to get them even further than that, he has to get them beyond expectations. He should get them to win series that they shouldn't win. I'm sympathetic to that. I can understand that. That gets you to levels of greatness that are unheard of. Like you're talking about guys like Jordan, Kobe, um, Kareem, all those guys. You're talking about those kind of historic levels. Like when you're when you're winning series that you shouldn't win. In order to carry over public perception, he does have to get one in the next two or three years. Otherwise, it's going to be. Like we're gonna be talking about James Harden's tombstone, and it's and it's gonna have all these great achievements, and without that championship, people are just gonna ignore it. They're just gonna, you know, blow right past it. Which is messed up because that's that just shows how much emphasis we as fans, as media members, place on players in today's NBA is you know the whole argument of you know rings, and that's that's how much. You know, rings define your career. Rings define your legacy. You look at a guy like Charles Barkley who never won the ring. You look at a guy like Carl Malone who never got the ring. You know, guys who got close but were never able to finally, you know, punch the door in. You know, it took them a while to get to their first finals. And then when they did get there, they just weren't able to succeed. Now, it's funny that you bring up the whole Carl Malone comparison because we actually brought up, I actually brought up this comparison on air over here at 790 the other day uh, on our Clutch City Sunday show with Michael Connor and Brian LaLima. And Michael and I were discussing it. I brought up that comparison because a buddy of mine had mentioned it to me. So I'm going to go ahead and assume that he was listening to the same podcast and decided to get, you know, regurgitate that information. Exactly. And so I had to throw this little nugget out there. Another guy, because right now you got you can say what Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, James Harden, all yeah. kind of on the same career trajectory. Where if Harden never finishes with a ring, maybe he falls into the same category as those two guys. You know, some all time greats that maybe weren't. Beloved by the fans, Patrick beloved by Ewing's the media. Another one. There we go. Another great example. Dirk Nowitzki, had yes. he not won in 2011, would have fallen exactly, and even more so in my opinion, into the kind of rut that Harden is in now. Because right around that 2011 area was when people were starting to look at Dirk and they were really questioning, does he have what it takes? Is he at the point in his career where he's past the point of being able to win a ring? All he does is play offense. He's not a great defensive player. A lot of the same similarities between Dirk and Harden, they share because you look at them and they've been the franchise face or the face of the franchise. Offensive, ta- offensively talented defense has been questionable at times throughout their careers due to you know maybe physical limitations or just letting, you know disinterest at times for one of our you know one of those two people. And overall, Dirk did finally knock down that door, and he got the ring, and that changed his public perception completely. And the People same could be said of James, the the same could be said of yeah. James Harden. You know, if he wins that ring, I think his public perception would change immediately. I I, I can't remember what crowd it was. It was either the, the Madison Square Garden Arena or, what, or was was it the Staples Center where Dirk Nowitzki got a standing ovation like like yesterday, or was it the night the night before? Do you uh, it, it would have been uh, Staples Center. Because Staples Center. Yes. Yeah. So, like, that would not have happened if, if Dirk doesn't win that 2011 championship. 
Like that that that's that's the kind of love that Dirk has now. Like he completely flipped that reputation. People forget, man. A lot of these media people were not so friendly to Dirk Nowitzki before that championship. Like, exactly. They called him soft. They called him uh, like like that. He was obviously they talked about his defense. They talked like there was this question mark about European players that that Dirk had completely eradicated after he won that championship. There was a lot of stuff going on with Dirk. That baggage he carried into that 2011 Finals, he put it on his back and he took it to the finish line. And that's the kind of stuff that Harden has right now. Like, is this style of play, you know, conducive to winning? Like, is is this is this much ball dominance conducive to actual winning basketball? We won't know until Harden does it, right? You know, he has he has a lot to prove to a lot of people, and I I, I I'm sympathetic to that. But at the same time, it's really when when Harden has nights like this, I I, f- I find it a little cringeworthy when people kind of dismiss dismiss it. Like, and. Guys, like I'm cautioning you right now. A lot of this stuff will get will be able to get digged up if Harden never wins the championship. If Rockets fans, I know for sure, they will lose their god minds if Harden never wins the championship. Absolutely, like they will. The go, receipts will be had. <laughs> there's no doubt in my mind that there's going to be a bunch of retweeting. There's going to be a bunch of screenshots and a lot of bitter media members that are like backlashing at these Rockets. It's going to be an ugly day. The day the Rockets win a championship, there's gonna, it's going to be a lot of bad battles on Twitter, and it, it, it's. Like I caution these guys, like, like watch what you say, man. Like seriously, if if this guy wins a championship, and I, I realize it's a long shot proposition considering there's so many contenders in the NBA this season and moving forward, there are going to be a lot of contenders. I I would just caution you guys because this stuff, this stuff does come back to bite you. It does. So move on. Moving on from James Harden, let's talk about the state of the Rockets. They are 13 and six right now. Uh, as a point of comparison, last season they were nine and ten, so they're much better than they were last season. Defensively, they have a one hundred eight some point something defensive rating. I can't remember the last time I checked. Much better than they were last year. But last season they were like a one ten point something. So they're they're already better defensively than they were of all of last year. Offensively, they're uh, second in the league compared to last year. They already have their identity on offense, which is something that I struggled to find last year. Like I, I'd come on this podcast and talk about, I don't understand what this basketball team is. Like they're just not good at anything. They have that offensive identity down pat. They're middle of the pack defensively. They're 16th in defense. So they have somewhat of an identity. I'm still struggling to buy them as a tier one contender. I, I know I said it a couple weeks ago that I think they're a tier one contender, but some of the losses they've had and that really the streak of games where the, they had to play the Clippers, the Mavericks, the Heat. They did not really impress me enough to the point where I'd put them up up with the Clippers, the Lakers, you know, the Bucks. I'm still not sure if I'm there yet because they've only had wins over bad teams. They've had two wins over teams that are above 500. Like if you look at the wins they've had, they're against teams that are well, well below 500. Teams that they're supposed to be. And, and credit to them, you don't, you only beat the teams that are in front of you, and you get credit for winning those games. But at the same time, that stretch where they lost a bunch of games, and specifically that Clippers game, you, you know, I know Daniel House was out, and I really was bummed out that he was out because he's having this fantastic season, and I want to see him, how, how he fares defensively against these awesome teams. I know he was out. I know um, I know they were missing a lot of key guys like Air Gordon. At the same time, like that kind of a game is the kind of a proving ground game that I would like the Rockets to win before I'm, I'm in. Like They won that first game against the Clippers, which is great. 
They they what they Harden was amazing, but at the same time, Paul George wasn't there. Kawhi didn't have his best game, and like the Rockets were still trying to figure themselves out. So I I, I don't want to write that game off, but it's it's tough for me to put too much weight into that game. I was putting a lot of weight into that second Clippers matchup, and I I was disappointed in how they fared. Uh, they were leading for most of that game. They lost the lead down the stretch, and like. And obviously that Russell Westbrook play at the end of the game where, you know, he obviously shot three instead of driving or, or kicking out to his teammates. Mm-hmm. Like, like that that kind of stuff is what makes me hesitant to buy in all the way. I want to see them beat good teams. Like, I, re- I really do. I want to see them beat championship contenders. I want them, to, like, I really want to see this next matchup against the Clippers. I want to see how they play against the Lakers. I want to see how they play against the Mavericks again. I want to see how they play against these elite, elite teams. Like, the Denver loss was disappointing, too. Like the fact that that double team really shook Harden to his core to the point where he didn't know what to do with it, like that, like that, that's a little worrying. I want to see how they do against the best teams in the NBA before I'm in on them. What about you? How do you feel about them so far this season? I'm along a similar line line of thinking. However, I do have an optimistic viewpoint in the st- in the sense that you are playing without Eric Gordon, and he yes. does completely change the dynamic of this team. He has been pretty much the X factor for the team for the last couple seasons. You know, when Eric Gordon plays to his best potential, the Rockets are damn near unbeatable because he'll come in and he'll drop 20-plus points on good shooting off the bench or as a starter like last year. And so when you've got Eric Gordon being able to be that spark off the bench, which bench scoring has been an issue throughout the season, that's been a recurring theme where you come in and because you've got this roster that's been consistently decimated by miscellaneous injuries or illnesses and you really haven't had a whole healthy roster yet at all this season in any game, even the games where Eric Gordon did play, he was playing through injuries injury that we didn't know about at that right. point. So he was playing, you know, as a much worse version of what we're normally used to. And so you've got this Rocket squad that really hasn't had a fully healthy team yet. And I'm really looking forward to I think the one matchup that I have circled on my calendar as truly what will ideally, fingers crossed, be the first true test for them with a healthy roster is the Lakers matchup January 18th. Because ideally, you get Eric Gordon back at the end of December. He can shake the rust off those first two weeks of January. And then January 18th, you get what will ideally be a fully healthy Lakers squad up against a fully healthy Rockets squad. And hopefully the Lakers don't suddenly go on some kind of a downturn here in December. Hopefully they remain competitive. And then that gives you a chance to see the Rockets face off against, you know, probably the most elite opponent in the Western Conference. And... I agree with you. The ending to that Clippers game was suboptimal. You know, the the shot by Westbrook that could have won you the game, but you know he it, had plenty of time to drive there. And it, the it was also the turnover him. too, like the, like the turnover beforehand. That's true. Yes, and, and, and like that that's the kind of late game decision making. That's that's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. Like I, I want to see how they do against like, like if they can clean that stuff up. If if they can get more of Daniel House, like like. Hold on for just a quick second, Jackson. Let's take a quick break to talk about our friends at Harry's. So, I don't like shaving. In fact, half of the reason I have a beard right now is because I don't like shaving. It hurts. Looking for a great gift for someone in your life? It's the holiday season, and trust me, every guy's gonna get ties, every guy's gonna get socks, every guy's gonna get the same boring t shirt. But if you wanna stick out, if you want your gift to stand out among the pack, I would suggest Harry's Razors. Harry's a gift that's both thoughtful and practical. Listeners of this show can get $5 off Harry's shave set by heading to harrys.com slash bluewire. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. It's a great deal for you and for him. 
Holiday sets start at just $20, that's within Secret Santa limits. And Harry's Blade refills are as low as $2 each, so your guy will save money over time. It comes ready to gift in a handsome holiday gift box, and your gift gives back. 1% of each sale will be donated to charitable organizations. That's awesome. Don't you guys like to be charitable around the holiday season? As a special offer for fans of the show, we partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off any shave set, including their limited edition holiday sets, when you go to harrys.com slash blue wire. Plus, you get free shipping. Each Harry shaving set comes with a weighted handle with the option to engrave, five blade razor cartridges, foaming shave gel for a rich lather, travel cover to protect your blades, packaged in a handsome holiday gift box. Free shipping ends December 16th, so act now. Just go to harrys.com slash blue wire. That's harrys.com slash blue wire. With the holiday rush here, you have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably. But how do you keep track of all those orders, decide which shipping carrier to use, or if you're getting the best rates? Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door, and delivered in time for the holidays. So one of my friends actually owns a company that actually uses ShipStation, and he has nothing but positive reviews to say about it. Like his orders always get to his desired location on time, every time. ShipStation works with all the major carriers including USPS, FedEx, and UPS, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice for online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of holiday shopping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it with ease. Just use my offer code BLUE to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, and enter the code BLUE. ShipStation, make ship happen. I, I still think, to be honest, to be completely honest with you, I still think that they're one guy away before I'm all the way in. Like, I really think, like, I like their team. I like their I think they're they're deeper than they were last year. At the same time, I'm not sure if they're deep enough because you look at teams like the Clippers, the Lakers, the the Bucks. Like they have all these teams have much more depth than the Rockets. Even the Nuggets have more depth than the Rockets. Like I like and I and I'm specifically talking about these forward positions. I think they need one more long, lengthy defender. It doesn't have to be. Don't make me say it. No, well, hold on. We'll, we'll get there. I, it doesn't have to be Andre Iguodala. It doesn't. Ha- it has to be someone experienced, played in big games, can defend, and can hit big shots when it's time to hit them. And Andre Iguodala obviously fits the bill really perfectly, but at the same time, a bunch of teams are going to want him. A bunch of teams are going to want Andre Iguodala. I'm talking the Lakers are going to want him, the Nuggets are going to want him, the Clippers are going to want him, the Mavericks might might try trading for him. There's going to be a bunch of teams after uh, Iguodala's services. So I still think there are guys to be had that aren't Iguodala. Like you look at the Knicks, they have a plethora of, of power forwards that I'm sure they would want draft compensation for. I'm specifically talking about Marcus Morris. That's a guy who's played in big games, defended big-time players like LeBron James, and played in in, in huge series. And I, that's the kind of guy that if they, if they add someone like that to the end of their roster, I would feel much more secure in how they fit, how they fit and how they look defensively and how they go into big series. Like I, I want to see how they look against some of these bigger teams, some of these teams that have a lot of size and versatility defensively. And Lakers. It, yes, yes. And Lakers and even the Clippers to some extent. Like the, the Rockets are undersized against a team like that because they don't have, they only pretty much have P.J. Tucker and Daniel House. 
And beyond that, like you don't have much defense, like defense behind those two players. And I would like them to acquire one more player before I'm in on them. Like it doesn't again, it doesn't have to be a da. There, there are players on the market that are available to be had. Uh, this is gonna. I feel like this is gonna be a robust trade market because there's a lot of teams that have holes to fill, and there are a lot of teams that ha- that uh, frankly need to make fire sales. The Knicks are a team I mentioned. Oklahoma City is another team, and they have a lot of trade, you know, players to trade. Stephen Adams, Chris Paul, Gallinari. You know, you look at other teams like in the NBA. Like there, there are teams. This is gonna be a robust trade market, so the Rockets can make a move. The problem I- is, can they can they feasibly actually make a move? Because they don't have the pieces. A lot of to salary, trade. right? Yeah. So the way this is going to be done, if they were to make this move, they, they would have to cobble together end of the bench guys. Like they, they're going to trade Nene because that that contract is going to be really bad once those incentives kick in, and um, they, they don't want to pay luxury tax. So they're they're going to trade him anyway. So he's so that's pro- two and a half million dollars in salary. Right, two and a half million that counts towards salary, and and you look at guys like um, like Isaiah Hardenstein, Gary Clark, guys like. Um, Guys who aren't really playing right now, like obviously Gerald Green's a guy that would probably be put into this kind of a trade. So you get close to around 10 to $12 million. And that's the kind of range where you can add someone of impact. Now, there's also the buyout market. If Iguodala can't be traded, he will be bought out. And uh, if he gets bought out, the Rockets will obviously pursue his services. They, they went after him two years ago in free agency, and they almost landed him, if not for Golden State coming in last minute and, and giving him a big a big salary. So there are guys to be had. The, the trade market's going to be robust. Uh, it's going to be tough to cobble together, to, to cobble together salaries. They're going to have to put in significant draft compensation to make that kind of a move uh, because the, the Rockets don't have any attractive salaries to give out. Um, but... I, I still think they, they have the ability to do so. It, it's a long shot. I would like them to add one more player before I'm in. I, I'm sure in their heart of hearts, they believe they're complete. I don't I don't believe they're complete. A lot of people don't believe they're complete. I think defensively, uh, they still have a lot of room to grow on. And I think getting a guy like Adol, getting a guy like Marcus Mar, getting a guy like, of that kind of ilk where you can defend multiple positions, hit big-time shots, have playoff experience. Daniel House, I like Daniel House. Uh, let's talk about Daniel House right now. He's had a hell of a season, uh, shooting over 40% from three, defending really well, uh, defending much better than he did last season. I, think, I felt like a lot of people overrated him last season as a defender. This season, he's playing a lot better, especially on the help side. He's playing a lot better defense, uh, getting a lot of deflections, played really good defensively this season. I'm not sure if I trust him going into the playoffs. He's still really young. Um you know he's he's proven himself and that he is a good NBA player and I and in that respect you have to play him against in these big series but at the same time you would still like to get someone who's also been there and has experience guarding guys like LeBron guarding guys like Kawhi Leonard guarding guys like Paul George do you want someone like that um, before you're comfortable uh, going into that kind of a series PJ Tucker can't do everything he can't play 38 minutes tonight he just can't he's 34 years old he can't do everything like that he can he's a, he's a bit long in the tooth and and you're absolutely right the Rockets need. An eighth guy. I think they have a solid, an incredibly solid, if not probably the best, I would argue, seventh, seven-man rotation in the league. You know, guys one through seven. I'd say, you know, maybe the Clippers, maybe the Lakers are right there with them as far as guys one through seven in their lineup. But then you get to guy number eight, and who is it right now? Right now it's Ben McLemore. Yeah, that's rough. And, I mean- and, and Ben McLemore and basically 
what's past Ben McAvoy, you know, Gary, Gary Clark, Clark, Isaiah Hartenstein, Chris Clemens, Tabo Cephalosha, you know, those those guys aren't going to be difference makers. Right. You know, they can... They Tyson can, Chandler, like, it's, yeah, it's, it's rough. It's really rough. They can give you minutes in the regular season, and they can be they can be productive there, but they're not going to be in that, you know, eight-man rotation when you get to the playoffs. So you're, you're absolutely right. The Rockets need an eighth guy, and ideally it's, you know, a wing player, kind of a 3-4 tweener, somebody who can guard multiple positions, like you said, hit big shots, play good defense, but... I think that as of right now, with the way Daniel House has played, he has excelled at everything the Rockets have asked of him. And the one area that's really impressed me this season is his his ability to be a secondary playmaker for the for the any really any lineup that he's on the court with because his three point shot is so lethal that teams have to respect it. And so he has completely gotten comfortable when it comes to attacking the rim off the dribble and he's he's tried to murder at least like six different people this year and he hasn't postered somebody yet but my goodness when it happens it's going to be so satisfying when it finally does because he goes up with he goes up with intent to kill when he looks to dunk and it just it hasn't resulted in a poster but when he's not looking to you know put somebody on a poster he's facilitating he's making the right passes he's driving and continuing to keep the defense scrambling and that's huge for the offense because when you've got James Harden or Russell Westbrook creating the initial action offensively it's important that the ball doesn't just stop on the three-point line that's one of my biggest issues with PJ Tucker that was an issue I had with Trevor Reza that's an issue I have with some current Rockets Tabo Cephalosha is one of them where if the ball makes it to one of those guys, if they don't shoot, the offense just stops. And that's stagnated offense. It allows the defense a chance to reset, and it makes things difficult on you, and that's when they fall into the issue of you know Westbrook jacking up a bad shot at the end of the shot clock or the James Harden isolation plays at the end of the shot clock is when the offense falters like that. So having a guy like House who isn't afraid to attack the defense or to continue attacking the defense off the initial action is huge. He's the best ball handling small forward they've had since Chandler Barsons. Agreed, one hundred percent agreed. By far, yeah. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that. That that secondary creation is is key, and uh, Daniel has been really good at that. And, and and to some extent, like maybe he deserves more buy-in from guys like me who like just I just I still think that they need to make one more move. I I like House a lot. Um, can I ask you a question? Of course. Is Ben Maglemore good? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I am so torn on Ben McLemore, and I think and I I had a segment about him recently, and what I've boiled it down to is just and and I'm one. It's not a big enough sample size because I know that he's got the very weird splits. His starting versus bench splits are are worlds apart. Yeah, he's insanely good as a starter, and then his splits coming off the bench are just abysmal at best. And you know maybe it's a mental thing, maybe it's a physical thing, maybe being in the game from the tip is you know he's he's got his you know blood you know blood rushing and he's you know got, he's got a, his swagger exactly got a swagger going he's got you know he's running up and down the court before he gets his first shot attempt rather than coming in cold off the bench that's not a not everybody can do that eric gordon has spoken about that how you know he approaches the game differently from a, a, a mental standpoint when he comes off the bench versus when he's a starter and how now that he's done both sides he kind of knows how to approach the game maybe that's a bit harder for ben mclemore to do at this point he gives you though Exactly, and I I don't want anybody to crucify me for saying this. He gives you exactly what Gerald Green gives you, which is a volume shooter 
who is going to be wildly inconsistent, who can shoot you into a game just as easily as he could shoot you out of a game. Because Gerald Green could give you just that. There, Gerald Green could go 2 for 10 one night and then go 6 for 7 the next night. And you live with it because Gerald Green wasn't one of your top 8 rotation guys. He was your ninth, or arguably your 10th guy off the bench. You'd put him in for a spark off the bench. You'd put him in because you just needed a body. You needed somebody who wasn't afraid to shoot the ball and who had a quick release. And that's exactly what Macklemore gives you. A quick release. He elevates when he shoots and he's not afraid to continue shooting the ball even when he keeps missing. Yeah, and perhaps he needs more time coming off the bench before he's comfortable with it. Like I'm sympathetic to that argument. He, he probably hasn't played enough minutes off the bench to know what he needs to do on that kind of a role. Eric Gordon has played plenty of games off the bench. He, like As you mentioned, he knows what to Former do. Former sixth man of the year. Yeah, he, he, he knows exactly what to do. He knows where he needs to fill in the gaps, especially as a as a driver, as a shooter. And, and uh, Ben hasn't been in that position. He's been a, he was, when he came into the league, he was a highly sought-after guy. And now he's kind of trying to stay in the NBA. He's on a non-guaranteed deal. Now, Daryl has been on Twitter openly caping for, for Ben McLemore. But these splits are pretty hard to ignore. And if you look at over, overall through the season, he's probably he's like at 33% three-point shooter. So it, it's really tough to really understand if he's actually like close to what Gerald gave you uh, as a three-point shooter. And so, at this point, he's probably not going to get cut also at this point because we're now past his guarantee, his contract guarantee date where he starts getting paid past the yeah, original 500000 guarantee, which was December 1st. And so yeah. now that we've made it past that date, I think it's safe to say that Ben McMore's not going anywhere. And that's kind of the, the way that I was leaning with the fact that you don't get Eric Gordon back until the end of December, as is. The Rockets just need bodies to put out on the court. And if you cut Ben McMore, then suddenly you're going to be trotting out Chris Clemens and Gary Clark for 20 plus minutes a game until Eric gets back. Yeah, and you already have an open roster spot with Ryan Anderson off the team. Uh, I guess the difficulty is ba- the balancing act of trying to stay under the luxury tax. I, th- that's definitely a remaining question I have with the Rockets this season. Are they willing to go over? Like, are they are they really bought in all the way where they're willing to go in actually over the luxury tax and stay above there for the rest of the season and pay and pay it? Um, that that's a big question, man. Because like, some of these trades I'm talking about, like, you're going to need to. You, you can't you can't acquire Marcus Morris without going to the luxury tax. You can't. Like there's just no feasible way to do that. Tillman Fertitta has at least shown that he's willing to spend money on qualified candidates or players that are ready to come in and make an immediate impact. The area that you wish that he had been a bit more flexible in was like with the Russell Westbrook trade where you could have aggregated some additional salary to come back in to help facilitate a trade further down the line. You know, you could have easily taken in, I, I don't know the, the Thunder's contract situations off the top of my head, but you could have easily taken in upwards of anywhere from 7 to, what, $12 million extra in salary because of the 125% rule as far as trade aggregation goes. And they didn't do it, yeah. And they didn't do it. And so now you're kind of in this pickle where the Rockets do need an eighth guy. They need somebody to shore up the end of their rotation, and they don't have the trade pieces to make it work. Because, again, if you do pull all the strings, if you package maybe – you know, again, Gerald Green, Nene, maybe Tyson Chandler, Isaiah Hartenstein. If you package all the end of the bench guys together, maybe even Ben, maybe even Ben. Yeah. If you package all those guys together, then you maybe scrape by enough to hit that ten million dollar mark. Which then, again, with the one twenty five percent rule, you should be able to bring back a guy that's upwards, you know, around the twelve point point five million dollar mark. Which means that still puts you out of the Iguodala range, unfortunately. Because he's making somewhere around, I want to say it's sixteen million well, this year. The 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 scenario where they get a Godal is a buyout. Like there's no way they they, they just can't. They there's that's right. They don't have the draft capital that Memphis is requiring for an Iguodala trade, unfortunately. Yeah, and they, they obviously, as you mentioned, they don't have the salary. They just don't. Would this, you take Taj Gibson? 
Yeah, but Todd Gibson's getting a little long in the tooth. That's uh, true. I still think he's a good defender. Someone I would like the Rockets to go after is probably someone, you know, like someone who can guard multiple positions. I don't think Todd Gibson's there anymore. He's not. He's a 4-5. Yeah, so like uh, you would like someone who can guard who's a little bit more versatile than Todd Gibson. But I think that's a good name to be brought up. And uh, I, yeah, it, it's it's going to be tough to get get to that, you know, 12 to 15 million dollar impact kind of player kind of t- territory, but they have the means to do it. The real question is, will they do it when if they can if they can do it? And I, I've defended Tillman in that it's we're still early, you know, we're still early into his tenure. He hasn't done anything really bad other than not pay the tax. So I I I've been someone who's like, let's wait and see, let's wait and see. Now we'll we'll hear like this this is the point of reckoning. You're three. Yeah, this this is it. Like, are you willing to pay? You've talked so much about how you're willing to pay. Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to put your money where your mouth is, and are you willing to do it? Now, there's the case that the Rockets have had cases uh, where they could have gone over and the trades fell through. Like Jimmy Butler is a is obviously the biggest case last season. Uh, they had they had the opportunity to try and acquire Jimmy Butler, and they offered multiple draft picks to try and get him, and they, they couldn't get the deal done. That that deal would almost assuredly put them over the luxury tax. Um, Garrett Temple and J- Jamichael Green. Uh, if they had acquired those two guys, that would have also put them over the luxury tax last season. That trade fell through because the because the Grizzlies were trying to find a trade partner for Mike Conley and they couldn't do it. So there have been trades where the Rockets have gotten close to the finish line, and if they had done it, they would have gone over the luxury tax. And instead, they backtrack and go for someone like Iman Shumpert, who saves some salary cap space at the end of the season. So I don't want to I don't want to derail Tillman too much, but this is the kind of season where like. You don't get opportunities like this every day, man. You just don't. You like you you have no idea when an injury happens. You have no idea when a window is closed. And the Rockets, to their credit, made a trade to possibly extend their window. Still not that still not that deep open. Like James Harden just turned thirty. Like you have maybe two or three more seasons of him playing at this level. And like I think if you're if you're really serious about contention. You make a trade this season, or you make a move this season that tells your fan base that you're bought in. And uh, we haven't seen that from Tillman. We'll see if he does. You know, at the end of the day, as far as Tillman is concerned, I think that maybe all he has to do, and, and it's easy to sit here as as a fan or as a media member and, you know, suggest that he just spend more money and, you know, because he is first and foremost a businessman. Yeah. And that's what he's done. That's where he's gotten to or how he's gotten to where he's at in his career. And that's how he was able to purchase the Rockets because he was a successful businessman. And when I had Justin on the Locked on Rockets pod a couple weeks back, you know, his background is in business. Yeah. And so his whole, you know, the way he analyzed Tillman was Tillman is very much running this like a business and treating things, you know, trying to, you know, remain competitive at the margins, you know, not going with all this overzealous spending and again as fans we sit here and we're frustrated because we want to see the team do everything in its case to win but an argument can be made for the fact that now that the window for the Rockets has been extended by two to three years maybe it's a good thing that they didn't find themselves paying the tax you know last year or the season before last or when it was last year yeah because now you've extended this window to where maybe this maybe this trade deadline or this upcoming offseason is where Tillman finally bites the bullet and then they go into they they have prevented hitting that repeater tax now because of some the smart handling of the tax up to this point. Yeah, and and let me just say this, fans are tired of hearing about the repeater tax. They do not give a 
about the repair tax. They don't. And, and it's easy to say that as a fan because it's not your money, as you said. But like you get one pass to say that when you're an NBA owner. You, you get one year. Like They let go of it last year. Like You, you got Iman Shepard credit. You stayed under the luxury tax. That's fine. Now, now, if, if a situation arises where you can go over the luxury tax and you choose not to do it, like the fans aren't going to forgive you as much, and fans aren't aren't exactly on Tillman's side in the first place. They're he'll not, be ostracized for sure. Yeah, like like he'll become Houston's James Dolan if if he, if that happens, right? Or probably like maybe more like Robert Sarver. It's probably a, a more apt comparison. Like I think James is more willing to pay luxury tax, but yeah, yes. I he, mean, he paid for seventeen power forwards this past off season, so sure. Yeah. Oh God. The Knicks. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. The, so if a situation arises, like fans do not want to hear about how you almost or you could have, like they they want they want to see actual money to your mouth. Like and to Daryl's credit, I'm sure he'll make this case. He's been quote unquote authorized to pay the taxes season. That's what that's what he said multiple times in the off season. That's what he said at media day when I asked him about it. So you know maybe maybe he does go for it. We'll see. It, it's definitely an open question, and the Rockets as a contender, to me, is still an open question. Uh, and I, I, I would just like to see more games. Uh, they've played good. They've played good. I, I'm not sure if they're if they're playing at a contendership status yet. To, in my opinion, I think they're still probably one of the, the four or five best teams in the Western Conference, but I'm not sure if they're one of the two or three best teams in the NBA yet. I want to see more basketball. I want, I'm sure you want to see more basketball before you make that kind of a judgment. And I'm sure fans aren't bought in yet, and we'll see. We'll see if they if they make that if they make the kind of a leap. We'll see. You know, as far as the leap is concerned, I agree with you. I don't think they've been one of the best teams in the league. They're still top six, top eight, maybe yeah, top six or seven. Yeah. But but they're not one of the top two or three teams in the league, and they're not clear cut championship favorites yet. Uh, you know, the Lakers have been playing some phenomenal basketball. The Bucks are being dominant and again. The Boston Celtics, the new look Boston Celtics, have looked really nice, and they lost Gordon Hayward early. Yeah, and so they've looked good without Hayward. Um, that team over there is doing special things. The Raptors, sans Kawhi Leonard, have been playing some phenomenal basketball. Pascal Siakam has tra- has just continues to make these steps in the right direction. He's yeah. he's playing like Giannis with a shot, which is scary to think about. Yeah, yeah, he, he he's definitely on the short list for MVP candidates for sure. Uh and, and one of the guys who hasn't been really discussed yet. But um yeah, you're right. There have been teams that have ex- exceeded expectations as well, like the Mavericks, the the Celtics as you mentioned earlier. Like still a lot of basketball to be played. We'll see if they're at that level. Uh, subscribe to the Red Issues Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Subscribe to the Lockdown Rockets Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher as well. Give them five stars on iTunes as well as us. Uh, and Jackson, where can we follow you on Twitter? At JT Gatlin. All right, thanks, guys. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.